on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. And a very good evening from Damien O'Mara. You are most welcome to the Tuesday edition of Game On. Busy programme to come between now and 7 o'clock. Shortly, uh, we will be hearing from the new Republic of Ireland women's national team head coach Eileen Gleeson. She's been chatting today with Tony O'Donoghue. We'll have further reflections on her appointment as uh, the new, not manager, head coach. And it's an important distinction which she talks about in the interview with Tony. But basically, she is the woman that will lead that squad forward. Uh, we'll have more reflections on her appointment in a couple of minutes' time with Alan Cawley and Rebecca Cray. Caelan Doris, fresh from signing his brand new contract, central contract with the IRFU as a guest on the programme this evening. We're going to check in on the PDC World Darts Championships and look ahead to uh, the European landscape with football stories of the week as well. All of that to come between now and seven. You can text the programme. Our number is 51552. You can find us on various social media platforms at Game on 2FM. On 2FM. Very welcome to the programme, as mentioned. Alan and Rebecca with me. How are you? All good. I'm great. You're you're the epitome of relaxation. Two people who have all the Christmas planning done, no last minute panic, you know. Bang on. It's all about that. Definitely not me. I know. Listen, you look look relaxed and on the run in. Um, I'm telling you, well, we're going to chat about Eileen Gleeson and we could sit here and we could speculate and we could do everything else and we could chat about what she's going to do. But maybe will we just hear from the woman herself? Go for it. Go for it, Eileen. Eileen, uh, appointed as the Irish head coach uh, by the FAI yesterday, as we brought you details of on the programme. Uh, she was unveiled at the Aviva Stadium earlier in the company of Mark Hannum, the uh, director of football in the FAI. She's been chatting to Tony O'Donoghue. Now, whereas Vera Powell was manager of the Irish team, Eileen Gleeson is the head coach of the Irish women's national team, and she's been talking to Tony O'Donoghue about the distinction and what she sees she'll bring to the role. I think, like we said, that having a staff which contains a lot of expertise that we can build the environment where the players can maximise their potential. You know, within the Nations League campaign, we've been really driving what it means to be Irish. You know, the cultural aspect of it and building that environment where it feels like you're coming home when you come to camp um, and promoting that togetherness, the connectedness, because without that on the pitch, you know, it's difficult. We're going to go into challenging games in 2024. You know, the level is increasing all the time. The great teams are getting are getting better. We're continuously developing so to have that togetherness then is really important then. How important is it when you see that you've got some American born players in your squad, some some British born players in your squad? How important is that Irishness in terms of your identity? It's huge. And yeah, we have different accents within the team, we have different geographical locations where people were born, but it's still that togetherness, it's still that Irishness and I mean, you've mentioned American players, we've got Kira Carusia. I mean, she, she exudes the Irishness. Like, she's completely committed to, to the family connection, to, to the concept. She comes home, she plays with absolute pride for Ireland and that passion. So irrespective of whether you're born in Ireland or you're born in America, it, it, you have to have that in you and that, you know, lean towards that Irishness. You said that being the head of women's and girls football was your dream job. Yeah. So why did you change your mind and, and take this dream job? Yeah, I don't think I changed my mind. I mean, like I said, I've been in this process before. I was unsuccessful um, on two occasions. So I've always wanted this job. But in terms of my career, there's always been a parallel. I've been working in development and working in coaching. So that just collided with the head of women's football and then this opportunity. Um, 
And when I initially came in as the interim manager, it was as an interim role, which was, you know, as we clearly stated from the beginning. And, you know, the questions kept coming and I, I reinforced that I was happy in the head of women and girls. Football role, it was a dream job. You know, the role suited my skill set. But then, you know, I was in this environment. I came in, it was a transitional period for, for players, but also for me coming in as the interim manager. And it evolved and I thought when I was in it, well, yeah, I really like this. <laughs> I didn't want it. I always wanted it. I, I was always keen to differentiate that. It wasn't that I didn't want it, it was that I was happy in the role that I was in. Um, but as the time went by, then I was happy in the, in the camp environment. So, yeah, I put myself forward. How difficult was it coming in after Vera Poe, who was, you know, quite a strong character, who was well regarded by the Irish public? Uh, was that a difficult transition? Yeah, I mean, we all know it was a tumultuous time for everybody involved. I came in very speedily. So, yeah, there was a transition period. Um, but it, it also, I had to bring what was specific to me. And I think the strength of that was my knowledge of the players prior, the knowledge of the Irish landscape, because then each manager does things differently, so it's not about being right or wrong, so I adopted my approach um, and, you know, brought that into the camp and thankfully, I mean, it could have went either way, Tony, it could have went upwards, downwards, sideways, but thankfully we had a successful campaign and we were able to bring our own approach to the camp. More difficult challenges will lie ahead. You've got promoted yep. to the top league yep. uh, and qualifying for the Euros won't be easy. It won't be easy, Tony. And we've seen, you know, the different seeding of teams for the qualifiers. And I mean, there's no easy teams now, um, but we wanted to be in League A and it's where we are. And we've been talking about the role of the, the Nations League campaign. And, you know, there's a lot of narrative around, oh, it's only games against weaker opposition or it's... You know, it's six wins from six, but they were, you know, six wins from six is a small marker. It, it was exciting and it was nice to have those successes, but they were only small markers because always the, the, the larger narrative was around qualification for Euros 2025. So that winning group B was very important in terms of the playoff position because, like you've mentioned, the level of the opposition now in the EGA is, is top teams. So for us to have the playoff then is also a step forward towards qualification. It's a very high-profile role. Vera Paul at one stage was leading the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Do you expect your, your life to change in terms of, you know, how people recognise you and what's expected of you? Yes, I mean, there's a lot of introspection and naturally I'm quite private. So, yeah, you have to adjust and adapt and it, it's part of the role. So, yeah, there's an adapting process for me. It's funny, I know when people are waving at me and can get photo. I think it's hilarious that they, they want to the photograph with me. This is part of the role, as you said, and also it's part of the growth of the game that the profile is raised and that now managers included are recognisable. So, yeah, it's it, on a personal level, it's, uh, yeah, it, I have to adapt to that. That's Eileen Gleeson chatting to Tony O'Donoghue at the Aviva Stadium uh, earlier this afternoon. As mentioned, Alan Cawley and Rebecca Cray with me in studio. Um, I don't think there's any opposition, Rebecca, to the appointment, but there does seem to be quite a level of surprise. Yeah, I think on a personal level, even I was, was quite surprised when I seen the, the headlines this morning. Um, you know, look, obviously she's coming off the back of, of six wins. You know, you can't argue that they weren't the, the best of teams, let's just say. Um, but she seems to have sti- instilled that kind of, you know, trust again in, in management. And, you know, I think going off the previous two managers that we've had, it was very much, you know, their way and or, or the highway, you know. But she seems to have brought in a team around her that 
you know she's she's trusting she's willing to lean on if you know she might know not know certain things or aspects to the game and you know there seems to be a level of confidence now within the squad and, and, and happiness you know and you can kind of tell from you know from seeing the girls chant to, to a few of the girls that they're really enjoying their football and yeah look although it's a surprise um you know we'll see what happens and it's a uh, it's going to be an interesting few uh, few months ahead yeah, because one would presume after the world cup the growth of football here the fact that it's an international job and could lead to other things that this is a position that would have been very highly sought after Massively, yeah. I think everyone was expecting this marquee sign, and you know, it's the squad has been in such a huge transitional transitional period over the, the last year, especially in the last six months. Um, I think everyone was expecting this, you know, signing from overseas, and it's something that I mentioned on the show here for previously about two weeks ago that I actually expected that as well. Um, so it is a it's a statement, if anything, from from the FAI. How much can we judge Eileen Gleeson on the six wins from six and games against Hungary, Northern Ireland, and Albania, Alan? I think she said herself in the interview, not very much, uh, Damien, and it was always about the bigger picture and obviously the qualification for uh, the Euros and the fact that you you have a successful Nations League campaign may allow you that playoff place, which is obviously a bit of security or a bit of a comfort blanket, if you like, if the campaign doesn't go well. Um, But that's where I'm unconvinced, Damien, because she came in as an interim uh, role which was fine almost like a safe pair of hands if you like after the World Cup because she had a previous relationship with some of the girls as well and we all know the noise that was around the camp after the World Cup Um, so I I find it hard to believe how you can give her the role off the back of those games if that's the case now maybe it's not I don't know but Mark Hannum spoke about uh, the process that they've sifted through in terms of narrowing it down from different individuals but and Eileen had said previously that she wasn't in the run she wanted she was quite happy in her role uh, up to that point I always felt as it was going on the second, third, fourth game and obviously they were winning and there was a bit of kind of a good positivity or a positive vibe around the place that I could see the change in her mindset as well thinking maybe I want this maybe I like this but I never felt you could give her it off the back of these games she even said that herself um, but she's in the role now and she deserves a chance but I'm very unconvinced But yes, you look at you know she made very difficult decisions insofar as like Tyler Tolan brought straight back in you know Amber Barrett who touched on it last night who was like you know there's statues to Amber Barrett in parts of Ireland after that goal at Hamden Park um, you know cut adrift for the latter stages of the game she wasn't afraid to make difficult decisions she wasn't afraid to try and put her own stamp on it and most of all she wasn't afraid to tinker with things in a way to allow Ireland to play a better more attractive style of football yeah, so the, and, and you know it would have been very easy to come in and just say I'm going to do what Vera did I'm going to get through these six games No but I don't think that was ever going to be the case because of the opposition Damien and because of all the noise around the fact that Vera was supposedly negative uh, in her approach and, and obviously we covered all the games I thought she was more pragmatic than negative going up against better opposition in the World Cup and she was out to try and get results then when Eileen obviously took over because you're playing weaker opposition of course that was going to change in that approach the two big decisions really um, on the pitch was Katie and Denise and where you're going to play them of course you're going to move them forward particularly in games that you're going to dominate like we've seen against Northern Ireland Hungary and Albania very very weak opposition so this suggestion that we've turned into this expansive fantastic um, I suppose expressive football team now that we weren't before I think that's unfair as well because I think if Vera Pau was still in charge against those teams we would have seen her do the same thing as what we've seen so the bigger stiffer tests will come when obviously to play against the better opposition we'll see then if we've become this fantastically kind of expressive mm. team that people are talking about I don't think that's the case but she's in the role now and, and she deserves a chance I suppose the, and the, the big issue as well is it, it's a risk because you know I, I'm, I'm not sure what age Eileen 
is, but she would have had a career as head of women's and girls' football. There's so much potential in that role within the FAI that, you know, you're jeopardising a long-term job to go in, and it's surprising for some people that this is only a contract which goes until the end of the Euro campaign. Yeah, it's it's quite a short contract, you know, and that kind of would be questioning the confidence, I suppose, in her ability, you know, coming from the, the association. But, um, yeah, and, and obviously you wonder, is there a fallback, you know, after the, the period of time, you know, is there going to be a, a way to go back to that role? I don't know. Um, but yeah, time but the, will... the difficulty is if they fill it, it's very hard to keep exactly. someone out. Well, I don't think you can go time. from... She's she's making she's made mm. her decision now, Damon. I don't think you can go from managing the national team. She's obviously been very much wanted that role for a long time because she applied twice before, didn't get it. So you'd almost feel if she was the right person, she would have got it before mm. now. Now maybe she came in at a good time. Timing's everything in life as well. A good opportunity for her coming off the back of Vera. But if she's so aligned with the, the vision of what Irish football should be for women in this country... Why not give her a long-term contract if she's the number one candidate? Why only give it to the end of the European campaign? Almost, again, a short-term viewpoint. Whereas if, if she's the number one candidate, if they've sifted through these 42 candidates, narrowed them down, and she's aligned with this vision from grassroots right up of what Irish women's football should be, give her a long-term contract then. So that doesn't exactly instill confidence either. If the players adore her, as we're told they do, how big a role should that play in making the decision as to who the next manager should be? Yeah, well, look, up until this point, I suppose, in the period that she's been in, you can see a change, I suppose, in, in the attitudes and, you know, the, the vibe, I suppose, around the camp and, you know, speaking to certain players within the camp that they they, they have enjoyed their time there. You know, the likes of Colin Healy coming in, had really good sessions put on over that time. You know, obviously Emma Byrne is a figurehead across Irish women's football, you know, more in a, a cultural aspect, aspect, but I know she is building her badges as well, you know, and obviously Richie Fitzgibbon has, has been in there, but they've got a wider kind of group then, you know, you had Ivy Casagrande come in there, or Evie, sorry, Casagrande, who's a fantastic per, um, performance coach, um, and it's something that you know was maybe not put the, the top priority when when previous managers were in there, you know, and you could see that change. Um, so, given that, you know, what we've gone off, I know we can talk about the, the weaker teams that we've played and the approach that she's had. Obviously, she's she's looked at you know younger players even in our domestic league. She's given them a chance to experience what's like in camp. Erin McLaughlin's come in there, you know. So, look. Given a domestic side of it, on my point of view, it's great to see that integration. I see her out at games on a weekly basis. You know, um, she's a football woman. She's someone that you know has a, a great love for for the country and obviously for for women's football. So look, the jury's obviously out at the minute. It'd be you know it'd be a, a big one to, to see now. Obviously over the course of the year, how how she fares out against uh, stronger opposition. I, but I think that's important as well about the team behind her and obviously Colin Healy. I know and myself. That's, for, that's the distinction around it being a head. She's coach. not afraid to she lean made, on on, on them. She on, was very. She was, her, yeah, yeah, and she was very open about that today. That that she sees yeah. herself as, and I think the, team the coaching that, team. Yeah. Obviously, the team that she's brought in as well has been has been as Rebecca said, the, the structures in place behind the scenes in terms of the the sports science side of things as well. I think has improved massively. Uh, so that side, she deserves credit for all that. There can be a question mark then I find Damien because of the relationship with him it might be just all a little bit too cosy, and that's what I would worry about as well going forward. Um, we know Vera was tough. You need to be tough to be winning at the elite level, in my view, and that would be a concern for me as well going forward. Just is it a little bit kind of short-sighted in that sense that it might be just a little bit cosy, but what we'll see. How steely is she? Eileen? Yeah. She can be. You know, like Eileen's a, a good figurehead, I suppose. You know, she's she's kind of reaped the rewards here in the domestic league when she was P-mount manager, obviously getting to the last 32 of Champions Leagues. Obviously didn't fare too well out in Glasgow um, and obviously had her, her uh, I suppose, assistant coach role then in the the uh, Ireland senior team 
she's she's a nice woman you know you can get on with her but I'm mm. sure she's she's quite firm as well how important so one of the criticisms of Vera Powell was we went to a period where pretty much the entire squad was based in the women's super league and if mm-hmm. that's a higher standard and that's where players can make a career for themselves that's understandable um would you expect us now to see more players from the women's national league here progress to the national stage Potentially, yeah. Like the, there's a huge, you know, underage pool here of, of amazing talent, and you know, I see it weekly at Shells, obviously, and I've heard of a lot of players throughout the league that that maybe haven't got a look in, and, and it's been the case over the years that you know people have had to go away to to get that chance, and you know, we've all this about training with boys kind of thing, but you know, there is a massive amount of talent, and with that, I suppose, effort from you know the, the likes of the sports science background and giving individual plans, which has helped say the likes of Amber Barrett, who who wasn't really getting a look in up until the last two or three years. She was sent away, given this, you know, plan to to go and 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 become, you know, a top level player. And I think that's something that's in the future kind of planned for for this setup now as well to hopefully bring through the, the underage setups. But you have to admire her honesty as well that she's not shying away from the fact that like, are we going from third gear to sixth gear in terms of progressing from the B League to the A League? Absolutely, Damien, and that's where where I'm saying about in terms like it, of it is a chasm. It's it's and that's why I don't want to be too disrespectful towards the teams that we've played and and as I said Eileen even mentioned it in an interview there but it is the gulf is absolutely ginormous compared to what we experienced in the World Cup um, and we showed we can compete at that that's fine I think we'll compete going forward but this idea that we're going to turn into it'll be still very pragmatic believe me when you come mm. up against the better teams so and, and that's fine Damien like because they're still very much in their development this team and if I if Eileen can bring them on further because I always felt the criticism of Vera was very harsh after the tournament because I felt she was just pragmatic in her approach because you're playing better teams and she's trying to get a result the next stage for Vera would have been then to move on to the Nations League and then see can she evolve and give her that kind of opportunity and and chance if she was real defensive and negative in those type of games then you'd say well hold on a minute we need to move this forward a little bit so I think it's all right those games and scoring the goals and that's fine we'll see Eileen and, and if Eileen is pragmatic in those games which she'll have to be it's not a case of going out um, kind of bullheaded and thinking oh we're just going to play for the sake of playing because that's what people want you have to be pragmatic to get results but that's where I'm a little bit there, there needs to be a little bit of a kind of a, a rain put on things mm. in the sense that all of a sudden we've beat Albania and Hungary and hammered them and Northern Ireland and now we've turned into this fantastic um, I suppose as I said team that's going to dominate possession and dictate play and, and build from the back and all that kind of stuff you'll see you'll still see very similar ilk of what we saw in the World Cup yeah. come those better games there was an interesting element to that interview with Tony where she talked about the importance of Irish heritage and a sense of Irishness and it, it kind of like it, it reminded me nearly in a way of Mick Byrne who used to be on the team bus under Jack Charlton playing <laughs> Rebel songs and a cassette up at the top of the bus but when you've got such a small period of time like I don't get a sense that there's players who are here solely to play international football and aren't invested in what it means to be Irish and what it means for football in this country. Like how how important is that the the element of the crack, the element of players wanting to bust a gut to come into a short period of camp? Yeah, it's massive. Like I know there's this period of time, you know, over the years and you hear people dreading going into camp. You know, I know myself years ago, like it wasn't something that I ever looked forward to, mm. to going in. I don't know if that was just me, you know, but just wasn't in that headspace at the time. But, you know, you're, you're looking at the girls now in the last few camps, they're looking forward to going in and, and seeing each other and being in that environment. And I suppose, you know, I was watching the, the Northern Irish game and every single player was belting out the national anthem. I don't think I've seen that. And then these are the American-born girls, you know, the English-born girls. Um, and I remember years ago, there was sheets handed around of, 
move or on a vein for the girls to learn they wouldn't spelled, have had a clue spelled phonetically you know what I mean yeah. and, and they, they, they probably wouldn't have, have sang it because they were yeah. never taught it but there's this kind of instilled kind of the, the culture is being built there within the, the, the dressing room and the girls are told about certain things and um, that element of passion I definitely can see over the last few games you know a bit of pride I, in, I in like, the jersey I like that in the interview the fact that mm. she's going to play on that I think that's really important because that's who we are Damien mm. and you have to rely on that because we're never going to be that team as I said no. like the Spaniards and all that's going to dictate and dominate for 90% of the ball so you need to rely on your strengths as well and that's one of our big strengths that will carry them forward so mm. I, th- I think that's a very positive sign from Eileen what she's doing there Just to finish um, the RT Sports Awards run last Saturday and I have done interviews at them for TV and radio over the last couple of years and I'm thinking 12 months ago I stood with Vera Powell who was on the verge of tears after being named RT Sport Manager of the Year and talking about what Ireland meant to her and the support she'd had in the face of various reports and everything else I, I can't conceive everything that would have happened in the 12 months between then and now like it has been the most remarkable year for women's football good, Chaotic. bad and indifferent mm. yeah like it's been it's been eventful. all your years in sport you should have known that day <laughs> I don't, I don't think I, I don't mean I don't mean the Irish women's team. I mean sport no, in I'm general. Just, I'm just thinking if you if you'd have told me 12 months ago that Vera, but things can change like that. Yeah, but mm. that she'd be gone and that it would be it would appear to be such a fractured squad at one point yeah. and how perilous the you know the mood around the place would be. Like it is, there's a book to be written about the last 12 months in Irish women's football. I'd say so. Money to be made off it. I actually, <laughs> found, oh, I, I actually found, when we covered the World Cup, I actually found that to be really sad because there was such a hype going into that and to think in two or three weeks the bubble was burst so dramatically and as you says rather than coming out with her head, head, heads held high thinking that was great we performed well which I think they did but they were coming home with literally like just carnage it, yeah. going on but then a couple of weeks later they follow it up with 35,000 people at the Aviva mm. but that shows the likability that was there what I'm saying yeah. was what was going on in that yeah, camp know, at the time we couldn't believe it it hasn't, it hasn't entered it but anyway listen we have a big Nations League campaign to come um, yes. and good luck to her I'm going to make you stay Rebecca, I'm going to wish you a happy Christmas and a happy new year. And thanks for all your contributions over the course of 2024. Same to you. Rebecca Cray has been with us. We've much more to come in the programme. We're going to chat European football uh, and much more with Mark Langdon and Alan later in the programme. And coming up after the break, Leinster and Ireland's Caelan Doris. RTE 2FM. On 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Rugby. And you're very welcome back to the programme. It's been a bumper couple of weeks on and off the pitch for Leinster. Uh, around lunchtime today, they confirmed the rumoured signing of uh, RG Snyman double World Cup winner with South Africa he will join Leinster as had been widely reported at the end of the current season when his contract with Munster de- uh, expires yesterday Caelan Doris signed a central contract with the IRFU which will see him uh, contracted to Ireland and Leinster up until 2027 we had the opportunity um, to chat to Caelan earlier today uh, in a new ambassadorial role details of which we'll bring you in just a minute uh, obviously a man who's very 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 happy to get that contract over the line and get that done in recent weeks. And it's been a big couple of weeks for Leinster victory against La Rochelle, having been beaten in two Champions Cup finals and a semi-final, and then followed it up with a great second-hand performance to beat Sale in the Champions Cup the weekend just gone. So Caelan Doris, a man very satisfied with how things have gone in recent weeks. Yeah, no, it's been great. A great couple of weeks. Obviously, that La Rochelle game was one that was kind of earmarked a while out and... Given our history with them over the last number of years, it was it was nice to finally come out the right side of the result and tough place to go and conditions wise it was 
pretty windy and lashing down and ended up being quite an abrasive and physical game. And they're obviously a very big pack and have probably gotten the better of us physically a number of times over the last few years. So it was nice to come out the right side and share a beer in the, in the dressing room after. It was a pretty satisfying feeling. It was an easy narrative for people to build in advance of the game, the two finals and the semi-final in advance of that. Was it a big itch that needed to be scratched by Leinster? There's a bit of that. I think naturally, because it was two pretty emotional games and two not very nice changing rooms to be in after both of them, there's, yeah, you, you've kind of, that feeling comes back to you quite naturally. But at the same time, for me anyway, I, I was sort of looking at it as a, a clean slate and a fresh start and I hadn't been happy with how I performed against them in the past, particularly happy anyway. So I didn't want to sort of carry the burden of feeling I had to perform this time. So I, yeah, I was looking at it as a fresh start and wanting to go over and get the win and start the European campaign this year off as best as possible. It's been a frenetic couple of weeks of, of rugby since you, you all returned to action. How important is it to get those nine points out of a possible 10 in Europe before Christmas and just get that footing that hopefully might allow you a little bit of wriggle room in terms of, of team selection and rotation after Christmas? Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a very highly contested competition. There's a lot of quality there. Even within our group, you've got such good quality. So we're pretty happy where we're at going into Christmas now, sitting top of our group. But we're also aware that it's pretty early stages and there's a hell of a lot of work to be done yet. And we know that it really comes down to the latter stages based off the last few years. So you're always trying to put yourself in the best position in the group stages. And once you do that, the work really gets going then. But uh, it's been enjoyable so far. Are you a fan of the format or does it make any difference to you? I quite like it, yeah. I like playing. It's kind of strange not playing everyone in your group. Same time, I enjoy playing against new teams and challenging ourselves against different opposition and particularly in the back row, different back rows. I always enjoy playing against new back rows and played against Sale before, so that was an exciting one. Yeah, so from that perspective, I, I quite like it. How much do you study other back rows? Like, would you be someone to sit down and watch videos of other players and try to rob a little bit about what they do? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I probably watch less rugby now over the last couple of years than I would have before I was playing as much as I am now. But I'd still, week to week, you'd still do a bit of individual analysis on your opposition player or players, eke out their threats and potentially where there's opportunities as well. But yeah, there's so many quality back rows in the game now that it's been enjoyable watching them. But how important is it then to switch off? Like, what, what would you do to escape rugby? Because like, there are guys who have their heads in MacBooks 24 hours a day, seven days a week if they were allowed to. I'm living here with Hugh Keenan and Ronan Keller as well, which you might think it's almost harder to switch off given I'm with my teammates all the time. But we've got a pretty good balance and we do a little bit of work together here rugby-wise. But then when we're not doing that, we're very switched off. And rugby is rarely a topic of conversation amongst us. So these days we're we're actually rewatching prison. Well, I'm watching it for the first time. The lads are rewatching Prison Break. So that's our evening activities these days. Yeah, the, the rock and roll lifestyle of professional sports people. Exactly. Yeah, feet up on the couch, Norma Tech on, watching Prison Break. It's hard to yeah. do. But it's important to switch off, isn't it? Like it, it can't become all consuming because presumably you have to try and maintain the love of the game that was what got you into it in the first place. Yeah, 100%. And like, I, I think that is quite easy for the majority of us to do. We do realize that we're in a very fortunate and privileged position. And to get to go in and throw around a rugby ball and lift a few weights day to day is is definitely an honor and a childhood dream for the majority of us. So, 
Um, I think we all are grateful to be in this position. Presumably you've inspired a generation of young lads around Mayo now, which wouldn't be regarded as a rugby stronghold to to try and pick up a ball. And maybe most of them will probably want to develop their skills in Connacht rather than jump ship to Leinster. <laughs> yeah, I might drag a few up this way at some stage. But yeah, no, I get a real sense, particularly through the World Cup, you can feel a real sense of the support from back home in Mayo and I was back there a couple of weeks ago and got another sort of wave of the sense of it and people being behind me and enjoying watching the journey and sort of getting interested in rugby themselves. So I think Ballina Rugby Club has had a pretty good rise over the last number of years as well. And I haven't been down there as much as I would have liked uh, over the last while. But yeah, I'm looking forward to popping into the club a couple of times in the new year. You've mentioned the World Cup, so I, I don't have to feel guilty about bringing it up. Is that well and truly put to bed at this stage? Or, like, I presume you can't afford to let it fester because you've got to get back into a Leinster perspective very, very quickly. Yeah, looking back on it now with a little bit of the passage of time, there there's so many fond memories from the whole experience and so many relationships that grew and became even stronger over there. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of positives from it. Probably the South Africa game and the Scotland game are two of the best in terms of atmosphere and the sort of connection back home but also the amount of Irish who travelled over is something that I won't forget for a long time it was yeah it was pretty incredible they sort of falling short of the ultimate goal and the disappointment around the quarterfinal still sits in the stomach a little bit when you think of that too but it's it's been pretty helpful having a few weeks off post that to kind of process it and integrate it and then getting back into Lancer and the excitement around the new coaches coming in and some personal goals and improvements that I want to see and get my performances better. So yeah, I've got some other clear focuses that have been helpful in, in getting me back on track. And before you know it, there'll be an opportunity to put the green jersey on again. And I don't want to say right whatever wrongs might exist, but certainly try and, and get that momentum up and running in the Six Nations again. Definitely. I was just out in the High Performance Centre in Banchestown yesterday. We're based when we're in camp and where we train. Class facility out there, but... It sort of yeah, it got me excited again to be hopefully back in camp and back playing in the Six Nations in a few weeks' time. It's mad how fast it comes around. But yeah, even looking at the schedule list, and I think it's over in Marseille playing against France on a Friday evening. So that's a, a pretty good one to get you excited for. So the Six Nations is always special and it's always the fun one to play in. So looking forward to getting stuck in at some stage. You mentioned new coaches in at, at Leinster and obviously I, I think it says an awful lot about where Leinster sits in international rugby that double World Cup winning coach would choose to come here as the next chapter of his career. What impact has, has Jacques made and, and maybe how long does it take to change a system to really fully integrate to see you know, the, the hallmark that he wants to put on this Leinster squad? Yeah, he's been great. You can kind of see some of the traits and characteristics that he has had with South Africa and that has made him so successful. He's kind of thrown us in the deep end a little bit in terms of trying to get us to move our mindset and change our mindset and get familiar with his D system as quickly as possible instead of sort of dipping our toe and giving us a little bit of time. But he's also been very open about us almost wanting us to make mistakes and wanting us to fully go for it and learn through error as opposed to being a little bit too cautious. So he's been great. He's a very enthusiastic man, very passionate about defence very nice guy as well and is sort of making an effort to get to know us all off the pitch as well so I think he's going to be has already been and will continue to be a great addition Do you feel a pressure in the sense that you're involved in two setups where there is an expectation now to win silverware this year or do you do you relish that intensity? Yeah more so relish it I think it's it's exciting you want to be in teams that are successful you want to play with 
good players under good coaches and that's what we have there's great quality both in Leinster and Ireland in terms of the players we have and I think everyone feels a lot of belief and confidence in what we have and feels that it is a privilege to be in the positions we are in with the players we have either side of us so now uh, yeah it's definitely where we want to be but rather that than not quite having the quality and not quite having those big goals and the chance of winning silverware. Will you get a bit of a break over Christmas and the New Year? I know there's a sensitivity. You don't want to give me the team that's going to go to Thomond Park on St. Stephen's Day. Yeah, we've been off yesterday and today. So I actually, I don't know the team. Even if I was going to give it to you, I couldn't. So I'm not sure what my what my plan is yet. Either way, I'll be going back to Mayo for Christmas Day. I'll enjoy my Christmas dinner anyway. I'll find a Guinness with it if I'm not playing and find a milk with it if I am. So either way, you'll enjoy it either way. Caelan, enjoy uh, the festive period. Continued success with Leinster and Ireland. Thank you. Happy Christmas. That's Caelan Doris uh, chatting today. He was unveiled as an ambassador for JFW Renewables, who are one of Ireland's leading solar energy companies. They specialise in the efficient installation of solar PV panels in homes, businesses and farms across the country. And you can get details of them at jfwrenewables.ie. We're going to chat European soccer. And on the way after the break, the PDC World Darts Championship. Game on on 2FM. Andrew Bray, welcome to welcome back to the programme. Your darts, Mad. I like the dart. Christmas darts, yeah. yes. I, I find myself watching it when there's nothing else to watch. Like it's Ah, Christmas is it's, brilliant. It's actually like it's actually slightly therapeutic. Just sit there and my young one loves it because she loves trying to work out the maths. The well, snooker and the darts. That's a good sign, yeah. Great for Education, the yeah. Into the yeah. Anyway, another man who loves the darts is our RT Sport colleague, Michael Glennon, who's with us. Hiya, Michael. Oh, hang on. Sorry, I had the wrong button pressed. You know I'm good at doing this. That's okay. How are you? Listen, thanks for being with us. Um, a lot of we we had an interview on uh, the weekend sports programs on Radio One a couple of weeks back with the defending champion Michael Smith, who you were chatting to. Um, he yep. made a very impressive start. I know there was a lot of questions about his form potentially, but he looked to be in a good place on the opening weekend. He did indeed, and as you say, a patchy form during the year. And what he did was he got a good test. It was Kevin Dotz who who won um, the quality round one match against Stobunts to play him on the same night. But it was the kind of match that Michael could have done with because sometimes the, the qualifiers or the, the guy who wins the first round match might be tired, hanging around a bit, and is not able to perform. But Kevin Dotz did perform. He was 2-1 up in sets. Um, Michael had to... Uh, he had 100 average on the night, and it was a real kind of back to his best so he clicked into the, the form where he'd been beaten in the first round of the player championship went out in the group stage of the Grand Slam and he just really looked his old self um, so really impressive first round and he needed it as well because there's two ways you can approach this you can you can be a you know Phil Taylor or Michael Van Gerwen and try and dominate it or you can be the type of player who wins a world championship and then effectively tries to, to leverage that for fairly decent earnings in a you know shortened period of time and I, I think he's has a, he's had a busy year of exhibition play so w- there were genuine questions to be asked maybe about where his head was in advance of this yeah and historically maybe first time winners like he was last year have, uh, may have struggled so you remember Rob Cross that won it in 2018 and then the year after he was in the Premier League and he didn't make an impression at all but that was just because he came from nowhere it was such a shock to his system becoming world champion and Michael was kind of in the same boat slightly more mapped to win uh, win on the big stage so he's dealt with it well and I think he just loves the Alexandra Palace stage I mean that was last year was his third final so he's well used to it now and he's just settled in straight away so he got over Kevin Dotes 
yeah, and you know, in impressive fashion. Yeah, fashion. and no more than say the World Snooker Championship. This is about tapering yourself for what could be a prolonged period of time um, at Alexandra Palace. And the the favourite this year, Luke Humphrey's up and running as well, and solid if not spectacular. Absolutely, yeah. So Lee Evans had chances against him. Luke ran out three nil winner, average ninety three and a half, and gave gave up a few chances to. Um, to, to Lee Evans but also what happened was after that that the bookmakers have added in Michael Van Gerwen as the joint favourite now so they weren't overly impressed with Luke um, and it made him now a joint favourite even before Michael throws it out which he does this evening against Keane Barry and you, yeah like Keane Barry the, the luck or the misfortune of the draw listen we need to be very honest it's, it's important to have realistic expectations he's going to be a massive underdog against Van Gerwen tonight Absolutely, yeah. Michael, a heavy favourite for that. Keane uh, wasn't brilliant against Ray Rivera. It was a very difficult player to play against. Keane plays at quite a good pace and Ray Rivera was he's a slow thrower but also slow to retrieve his darts. So it, it's one thing when you're on the hockey and you take a few seconds to throw each dart but if then if you stop after the third dart goes in your opponent like Keane was waiting for to retrieve the darts it's a slow walk up it's a slow walk out of the way um, so Keane did well not really to fall into a trap there he won 3-1 in the end 86 average is not very good he wouldn't compete with Michael later on tonight you'd imagine mm. Michael really has to have one of his B games which haven't been great recently and then Keane has to play better than he has in a couple of years since he got to the UK Open final you know at the start of yeah. 2022 and ju- just one or two other stories that jump out obviously disappointment for yep. Dylan Slevin from Tipperary um, had an experience of the world championships but unfortunately fell at the first hurdle at his first attempt yeah no disgrace it didn't, the stage didn't seem to bother him at all he had a brilliant 1-6-7 out shot he took the first set he came up against the guy Florian Hempel who was more experienced on the stage he's fighting for his tour card and he actually it just grew into the game more and when he got going he, he didn't really look back no disgrace from Dylan Slevin we'll hear about him again in the future no doubt OK Michael we'll leave it there thanks so much for being with us Michael Glennon and you can uh, follow his work on the RT Sport website and plenty of uh, coverage no doubt across RT radio programmes in the uh, coming weeks Manchester City are you a fan of the FIFA World Club Cup it's just it's it's. I'm not no I'm not to be honest with you City 1-0 up yeah they're 1-0 up it's the semi-final tonight Damien uh, fully expected to win this they're playing Euroway Reds and they're totally dominating the game 78% of the ball 11 attempts on goal 4 on target they've had 6 corners and they've just scored now it was an own goal but you'd fully expect them to win this <laughs> yeah <laughs> they all count though. yeah they're dominating but it was an own goal yeah um, well um, well but, uh, what, but maybe I should have read out these stats Euro Reds 22% of the ball no attempts on goal no shots no shots off goal no block shots no corners no nothing yeah but they get the draw yet uh, Mark <laughs> Langdon is with us hiya Mark oh, hi, hi Damien they have just had a corner actually you must have just got them stats of seconds before yeah they, Mark they, you're they ahead of me now, how excited do you get about the FIFA World Club Cup or whatever it's, it's changed names so many times over the years I can never keep up with what incarnation it is now yeah, I, I don't. Um, you, you know, I, I think the the problem is that um, the class gap between the European team they don't always win. Um, you know, it's knockout football, can't always win. But the the, the kind of the games are not very good um, because the European team is so much better. Um, you know, the the golf between even even in South America now between say the Brazilian teams and the Argentinian teams is such that. You know that th- th- there are concerns that 
like that's too big and then the Brazilian teams coming in to play against the European team um, you know usually um, and the difference is huge again so um, I just think sort of the, the globalisation of football um, has, has been bad news for most of the globe and it, you know it's just it's all about Europe now and we've got this new competition starting in um, sort of 2025 um, you know the, the, the Club World Cup is going to be expanded um, and that to me just looks you know like completely unnecessary um, you know it, it's just it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be very fun uh, because the difference of levels between the teams is just too great and but the, the challenge is for Alan for Arsenal for Aston Villa and for Liverpool is to try and put a little bit of leverage between themselves and Manchester City who actually aren't going to miss that much football in the Premier League it's not like United of old where yeah, the whole season gone for three weeks. apart yeah. yeah but no they still have to capitalise Damien that's uh, most important but I think they'll feel that anyway because we've often a situation well it's it's very kind of prominent now is that the games because there's so many on a Sunday you do find a case where a team might play on the Saturday and then they have to capitalise and uh, make sure they win then on the Sunday when, when whoever has played on the Saturday if they've dropped points or whatever and we've seen that a lot over the last few years so I think they'll be fully aware of that but they'll be just concentrating on themselves they'll know this is a year where there's a real opportunity for them Man City are not firing on all cylinders as we've seen in the last few weeks and the other teams are playing really well so they just need to maintain that The, the other story today from the Premier League or Premier League related Mark Steve Cooper gone as Nottingham Forest boss I, I wonder if it wasn't for this strong allegiance he had with the supporters base this decision probably would have been made some time ago yeah I, I think the relationship with the owner had broken down long before now um, you know it was most of the last season really they um, it just felt like there was a truce there because um, you know the, the, the owner maybe felt that um, there was nobody around that you know no need to really disrupt things because the, the fans were so connected um, with, with Steve Cooper I think Cooper's done a good job um, in what's not been easy circumstances. I don't think that this season's performances have been particularly good. Um, and so the writing's been on the wall. Even the football, the, the standard of football has dipped. And we won't know until kind of another manager has a go as to whether... Uh, you know, I think it'd be easier to judge Steve Cooper when somebody else has, has gone in there. Because I think there's certainly the owner feels like that they've spent enough money and they've got players actually should be able to do better. I think a lot of people look at it and just go, well, you know, they're Nottingham Forest. They haven't long come up from the Championship. Just staying in the Premier League is where it's at for a couple of seasons before you can sort of really build on, on, on that. Um, I mean, it sounds like Nuno is, is the very strong favourite. Um, I mean, in terms of progressive football, he doesn't appear to be sort of somebody that's going to suddenly sort of wow the, um, the, the city ground faithful. I think he's a solid enough um, manager. But... I always say, you know, if you're going to sack somebody, make sure the replacement's a lot better than what you're um, kind of getting rid of. And I don't think that that's the, the case with Nottingham Forest. Um, you know, I don't really see Nuno being sort of levels above Steve Cooper. I'm just looking at the hypocrisy as well, Alan, of they're getting savage Nottingham Forest for having had these talks with Nuno Espirito Santo in advance of getting rid of Cooper but mm. there was no such savaging of Manchester United's incoming owner last week when there were reports of Graham Potter being deep in conversation with him with Eric Ten Hag under pressure I think this is the way of the game now Damien and to be fair to the owner at Nineham Forest he needed a replacement so you have to have some sort of a discussion at some point I would agree with you I think this would have came a lot sooner only for the relationship that Steve Cooper obviously has with the fans and he has done a good job but you have to look at the results in the last few weeks and one win in eight and before that there was 
they didn't win in five either but there was four draws but one win in eight and six losses Damien it's, like, it's not like I know people are saying he's been hard done by and and maybe should he should he have got a little bit more time but that's a really bad run of form and I think as well what's probably in is the in, in their favour currently but it might not be the case now that Chris Wilder's gone to Sheffield United as well the three teams that have come up have been so poor but that they might improve over the course of the season we've obviously seen Luton um, have only lost by the odd goal against Man City Arsenal Liverpool in the games that they've played recently as well so they're kind of doing okay uh, Wilder as I said there's been a bit of a bounce there with them Burnley are struggling so I think a lot of the focus is on the fact that there's three teams below all the teams there it's almost like a cushion blanket but still I don't think you can rely on that Damien and I think the owner to be fair to him is probably looking looking at the situation currently in terms of the run of form the points uh, difference to those bottom three and, and he's acted now I would agree with Mark in the sense that what they've brought in isn't much better but I think he needed to make the change mm. Mark a couple of stories um, standing out across Europe um, La Liga we, we've kind of lamented and justifiably I think the dominance of the two Madrid teams in Barcelona in recent weeks are we all going to turn into Girona fans between here and the end of the season well I mean it, it, it's been referred to as a fairy tale story um, in, in many places and it is I mean you know Girona um, sort of a place really that I, I think a lot of people only kind of recognised because of the budget um, airport that he's got that's not that far from Barcelona. Um, Unfortunately for those that want to believe in the pure romance, of course, Girona are owned by um, the city group, so Manchester City. um, And so it's not as if they've got no money. Um, They've definitely got less money than Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid um, and, and Barcelona. But I think a lot of people are against these kind of, you know, feeder clubs and um, sort of sort of groups owning a set of football teams. But I think if, if you just look at it in isolation, it is still um, a good story. I mean, there's some some real kind of misfits there. Um, you know, Stuani that was flopped in um, in England previously. Gazaniga, who used to be in goal for Tottenham and Fulham. Um, Eric Garcia, who never made it at Man City, never made it at Barcelona. Um, they, uh, Blind as well, you know, formerly... Um, of Ajax and Netherlands, Manchester United, of course. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a real sort of odd situation they've got themselves in, but their results and their football has been absolutely fantastic. And they are kind of showing no signs of, of feeling the pressure at the moment at the top. Um, Real Madrid have just lost um, Alaba to a long-term injury. He's done his ACL um, in, in, in the last couple of days and very reliant on Bellingham for goals. Barcelona have been... Well, really average, I think. And Atletico Madrid, um, you know, lost at the weekend as well. So there is an opportunity there for Girona to do, I don't know, like like a Leicester-style um, um, title success. I still wouldn't expect it, but they've mm. had a brilliant first half of the season. Yeah. Um, other story today, Thomas Muller, who I think people were writing his footballing obituaries at Munich when Kane went over, but he's extended his deal to, there's plenty of life left in the old dog yet. Yeah, 2025. Um, I mean, it's hard to sort of see Muller, isn't it, in a sort of club kit that wasn't uh, Bayern Munich. He just feels like he epitomises Bayern. I think his place in terms of the first team 
um, is, is kind of he's getting less and less um, important, I suppose, to, to the first team. But his position in the squad is unquestionable. Um, you know, you need people like that uh, within an organisation. He kind of lets everybody, all the new guys, know what it means to play for Bayern Munich. And yeah, it, it uh, helps, I suppose, that he's become Harry Kane's best friend at Bayern um, uh, as well. They play golf together. So oh, well, um, I'm sure Harry Kane will be happy as there well. There we go. Player power at play. Mark, thanks so much for being with us. Happy Christmas to you and the family and thanks so much for everything over the year. And to you guys. That's See you, Mark. Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. Before I let you go, are you off home to watch the EFL Cup quarterfinals? I am, yeah. Do you, know what a, do you know what Carabao are? I think it's the oddest sponsorship. Carabao sponsored the Carabao Cup and yeah. nobody knows what Carabao do or an energy drink ok I didn't know that Everton Fulham probably the pick of the games Liverpool West Ham tomorrow there night there was a Carabao chocolate no it's definitely an energy drink but, but I can't the, but understand but there was there is the, it a, the it's, most, a, it's a posh chocolate it must be the most meaningless sponsorship in football <laughs> uh, Everton Fulham Port Vale Middlesbrough Chelsea Newcastle Liverpool West Ham tomorrow night again it's a piece of silverware well, you, see, you get to the stage, Damien, and some of those teams will want to win a cup, but because of what's around the corner in terms of the festive period, injuries, like I'm looking at Newcastle, and Eddie Howe would, would love to win a cup with Newcastle, but because the run has been so bad of injuries and he's basically ran the last five or six games, played the same team, he can't do that tonight. Okay. So that's tricky for them. Pochettino's under pressure. I know he got the win at the weekend. He'll want to get the victory, want to win a cup. So it's a tricky time for a manager. And it makes it really difficult to predict until we see the teams. Yeah. Alan, happy Christmas. And you too. I hope Santa comes no doubt he will thanks so much for everything uh, Lorley Davies our broadcast coordinator tonight Andrew O'Connor produced uh, Bet is on the way Jenny after nine Dan later on this evening from Damien O'Mara till we chat again Good night. RTE 2FM